Coming up, fans know him as the Phenom, the Dead Man, the American badass and big evil. But nowadays, we're finally getting to learn about Mark Calloway. The one and only Undertaker joins us as ATB starts now. Welcome, welcome, welcome to After the Bell. I am still Corey Graves, and man, I don't know that shows get much bigger than what we have lined up this week. Coming off of a crazy weekend in WWE, brand new Intercontinental Champion AJ Styles and Daniel Bryan absolutely tore the house down on SmackDown. Big night at Backlash, awesome show. The greatest wrestling match ever. Listen, nobody knew what to expect except to probably not expect the greatest wrestling match ever. And after it all went down, a lot of people are still buzzing, saying maybe it was the greatest wrestling match ever. Hats off to Edge and Orton, two of the greatest of all time. Pretty solid night up and down, but I don't want to waste any more time because one of, if not the greatest guests of all time, is on ATB right now. My guest, The Undertaker. First of all, Undertaker, thank you so much for your time. I truly appreciate it. You've been a very busy man recently. Uh, who would have thought in the year 2020 that the most re media requests in WWE would be for the dead man, who uh, once upon a time <laughs> did no such thing, but with the release of the documentary series, The Last Ride, the WWE Universe and beyond, truly buzzing and celebrating uh, your entire career. How's this experience been for you? Uh, it's been very enlightening. Within the last, probably the last month, I've done more media than the prior 30 years combined. It's taken me a while. It's taken me a while to get comfortable uh, in the setting. I've been so guarded and so protective of our business and the character. And so it's kind of taken me, I'm, I'm, I've, I've worked myself to where we're at now and kind of completely let the guard down and, and most everything's on the table and, you know, discuss where in the past and, you know, there was a, if I did decide that I was going to do something, there was, you know, there was a lot of parameters that went with that. So here we are, man. <laughs> a little bit of freedom. Well, sort of. Yeah. Yeah. Good or bad. Let me ask you this. So the last ride and, and you have been very open about how hard you work to protect the Undertaker character. What sort of led you to that mindset? Was it something that, was it a conscious decision you had made or was there a moment or something that forced your hand to where you kind of shut everything out except for the, the character? No. So my approach to, to wrestling, now you, you got to go back to this. We started developing it in 89 and, or, or in 90. You know, this char the character really struck, you know, it, it really struck home with me. And I, I knew... I didn't want it to be a flash in the pan kind of deal. And I wanted it to have legs and I wanted it, to, I wanted it to last. Did I expect 30 years? No, but I wanted this character to last. And then, you know, looking at other characters that, that were on TV at the time when they were on TV, that was that. And then they were somewhere else. They were something else. And, and, you know, I just wanted people to, I wanted people to think what they saw on TV was, what you know, I was like that all the time, as right. close as I could be. Right. I wanted it to be as legitimate, even as over the top of a character it was. I wanted it to be legit. I wanted to question, I wanted people to question, like, this dude is seriously jacked up, you know? I mean, right, right. So, 
early on, I, I just made that decision like, okay, I'm not going to, obviously I'm going to have to vary. I'm going to have some variances in this character in public because, you know, I can't wear the hat and the coat. Although I did eventually have a, a winter leather coat made and, and I wore a bunch of various different hats, not, not the one that I did on TV, but so there, you know, people were just like in the airports and things like that, you know, especially in the wintertime, I was just like, holy crap, you know, and then, <laughs> and then presenting myself in a way that like, uh, nay, no way I'm going over there and talking to that guy, you know? And right. <laughs> but now was that something you had to, had to kind of learn to do, or was it something inherent that you were just able to turn on? Uh, I, I had to learn to do it, uh, you know, actually pretty social, you know, and, and, and like to cut up with the boys and, you know, and carry on and do everything else like everybody else does. But it was like I was always I was always working. I was always at work. And uh, regardless if I was going through a rent a car place or whatever, uh, you know, Paul Bear really helped in that aspect because he did a lot of that. So I didn't have to interact too much with people. Right. But yeah, I just felt like for the longevity and, and, and for the integrity of the character, that was that's what I needed to do. And you mentioned never aspiring to do this for 30 years, but anyone that's worked in WWE or this business knows what a grind it can be, even more so in the past. What do you credit your longevity to in being able to not burn out or, or just throw your hands up and say, I've had enough? Well, one, I loved it. I mean, once, and you hear so many stories from guys, it's like the first time they start to, to work out or they start training and, you know, you either, you either get that bug and that passion right away, or it's just like, mm, okay, I had it. I, I mean, I, I became passionate about it. Longevity wise is, is trying to keep my, my finger on the pulse of my audience and, and myself, like, I, I never, you know, once after, after those first couple of years, and I use those first couple of years really as the, as the development of that character and I, where I was still trying different things. And so once I finally felt like I had a grasp on what it was that I wanted to present and felt comfortable with that, then I had to keep, you know, then I had to keep, okay, what am I doing? You know, because it, obviously we didn't have as, as much exposure then. Right. But I had to figure out, okay, okay, week after week after week, they're seeing, you know, the same thing. You know, as cool as it can be, it can become monotonous too. So you have to, you know, I had to keep a gauge on where to tweak things and where to, where to change, make little changes here and there to catch people off guard and like, because they fall into a rut. Okay, this is going to be a long walk and it's going to be about a four or five minute match. And then he's going to put somebody in a body bag or a cast. You know, I had to keep trying to evolve the character. And how did you decide when it was time for an evolution? Was that something you just felt or were you gauging crowd reactions or it was just, was it something external that you, you were able to read and say, hey, it's time to change something up? Yeah, if I started to feel like it was becoming monotonous or, or, or stale, then I would, I would really kind of go into the think tank and, and figure out, okay, what, what, what can I present? What, what, what's a different angle on this thing? Our business, you well, as you well know, it's it's a flavor of the week business. Absolutely, especially now because there's so much exposure and guys get so much. But, you know, even then, it was it was that way. I was really cognizant of that. Like, I want to keep this. I want to keep this character fresh. And 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 if I and when I if I started feeling stale, then in my head, I started. I would start thinking like, okay, my audience must be feeling this too. 
Sure, sure. Were there any ideas or iterations of Undertaker as far as your evolution went over the years that maybe never saw the light of day or something you were kind of gung-ho feeling trying to do and, and maybe met some resistance or vice versa? Maybe something you look back and go, oh, I, I almost did that. I should have done it. No, there's a few things that I did that I, that I kind of wish I hadn't done. I don't, rem- I don't remember what year it was, but it was in the garden. I was working with mankind and I came in with a, from the ceiling with kind of the bat wings. The bat wings, sure. Yeah, yeah I, I remember kinda, that. I, I kind of regretted that one after the fact. It was just a little, <laughs> it was just a little too hokey for where, where I wanted that character to be. But that was my idea. I have to take full responsibility for it. It didn't work. For the most part, uh, no, there's not a whole lot. You know, there, the, everything seemed to, I had a pretty good idea of, of where that character should be most of the time, um, minus the uh, giant bat. From from the garden. So, watching the last ride on WWE Network, there's a lot of discussion about yourself, Bruce Pritchard, and Vince McMahon all having hands in the the creation of the Undertaker character. And what really stood out to me was knowing Vince, uh, obviously not as well as you, but as well as I, I get to interact with him. There's something about the interaction between the two of you where Vince almost. I hate to say it turns into like a kid, but when watching you two interact with one another, it's very obvious you guys have a very different bond. Speak to that a little bit as how long did it take to get to that point and how much does that play into the success of your career? Well, you know, we started out and obviously I start out just like everybody else does. You know, when when he comes around, it's this kind of, you know, early on, it was like, how are you, Mr. McMahon kind of deal. And, uh, you know, through 30 years, obviously we've been, and I've been through just about everything with him and, you know, realize that, you know, he's a human being. And I think a lot of times people forget that, that, you know, he's, he's a human being too. Everybody looks at him as the, you know, as the boss, which he is. And we just kind of, I think we just been through so many things together professionally and, and, and even personally, you know, it's just become, it's come become more of a friendship than it has an employee boss kind of a relationship. Obviously he's still the boss. I, I, I deal with other people much more now than, you know, on a business side of things than I do with, with Vince and our phone calls are normally just checking in and, you know, seeing how, you know, how, how each of us are doing in our world. And, you know, he, he's, he, and I referenced it in one of the earlier episodes, you know, he's one of the few people that can, can say things to me that, you know, that I'll, that I'll sit down and go, okay. You know, I mean, he, he flat out told me I was, I had a whole mess of, of, of personal problems going on in my life and it was really affecting me uh, and, and my ability to, to perform and the ability to want to go and perform. I mean, I was consumed with it. And rightfully so, but not to the point where it had taken me. And uh, Vince straight up pulled me in to 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 his office one day, and we were we started talking about it. And he flat looked me square in the eyes. He said, "Mark, you quit feeling sorry for yourself." And I'm like, "What? He said, you need to quit feeling sorry for yourself and get your ass out there and do what you're supposed to do and everything." You know, and I was like. Like I had the, I had the, the inside of me saying like, get up and knock him on his, but then, you know, as I'm processing all that, I knew he was right. 
Right, right. And there's not a lot of people that would have been able to say that to me that I would have been able to get through the want to to get up and punch him in the face. But it was it, it was Vince, and and I knew where it was coming from. I knew it was from his heart, and I know that he that that he that he cares and he loves me. And it was his way of saying, "Hey, get it together and and do what you do and be who you are." And so, I mean, that's. Um, the relationship itself is just over 30 years. I mean, ups and downs and everything else. Right. right. One of the, one of the adjectives that always comes up when talking about the undertaker is your, is your loyalty to WWE and that you stayed through the toughest of times. What would have happened had you taken an offer from WCW in the, in the late nineties? Is that something you ever truly entertained or uh, obviously there's a lot of rumor and it hasn't been, coming from you. Uh, so, so there's a lot of stories that have been told. What could history have looked like? I, I don't know. I don't think it would have turned out like this. You know, I, I had that character, which was so strong. There's no way I take that character to WCW. And then whatever I do at WCW, do I bring it? I can't bring that back. And do I pick the old, see those things, all that stuff. in a lot of people's minds that that doesn't matter to people, they're just gimmicks and they're just, that's not the way I looked at things. The Undertaker was part of me. And I couldn't, you know, I, I just couldn't imagine, you know, even I had the president, the business sense of mind, like, it, it, you know, people go and they come. I mean, I can't tell you how many times I've seen guys leave and come back and do all that. I just, could, I just, I never could get a visualization how that would work. You know, I, I just couldn't, you know, as much as I was disappointed, with, I was, I was unhappy, you know, with our overall creative and, you know, we, we were, we were struggling and, and it was just like this, it got worse and worse and worse. And it was like, yeah, there's a lot of guys who are calling me, you know, like I was talking with when, when Kevin Nash was there, you know, and he was like, man, I'm pretty sure, you know, we get you some pretty big cheese if you want to come down here and do this thing. And, yeah. And of course you think because you're miserable, but then it's just like, and I, there's two things. One, I remember, and you've probably heard the story about me before I came to WWE with, or, you know, when I was still in WCW and I went for a, I went to re renegotiate my contract. And, uh, you know, I wasn't looking for a big bump, but just, you know, I'd been there for, I don't know, I'd been there for a while. My contract was coming due. I figured that I could get off of that minimum deal. You know, so I went in and they offered me the same deal. And I was like, well, I was, I was hoping for a little bit of a bump and, uh, you know, I was still, you know, I only had a few years in the business, but I had a pretty good year there for them and looked me square in the eyes. And they said, they said, Mark, you're, you're a great athlete, but no one's ever going to pay money to watch you wrestle. <laughs> wow. That's a true story. Wow. Uh, Jim Hurd, Ole Anderson and uh, Jim Barnett. They were all in the room and I was there at the CNN building there or whatever it was Turner's off. And I was just like, well, that's pretty much the writing on the wall for me. Right. You know, I mean, I'm not going to, I can't, I'm not going to stay here and, and then, you know, turn into fodder for, you know, these other guys. And, and, uh, you know, that really lit a fire as, as well. But, uh, so what Vince did, and he never promised me a thing other than opportunity. That's all, that's all he ever promised me. He said, I'll give you an opportunity to do something. And then he gave me that character. And then, you know, it was just like, yeah, this is, this is, I'm going to, you know, when, at the end, when it came down to it at the end of the day, I said, this is, 
whatever happens, good, bad, or indifferent, this is where I'm going to be. And if ship went under, I was going under with it. And um, I don't think even not not that that was going to happen. Even if if the WWE had gone under, you know, that Vince would never let that happen. I mean, they're just right, you know, right. I could have went. I could have went to Japan. I could have went to any you know place like that. I doubt that I ever would have went back to WCW when it really got down to it. When things were at their worst and the Monday Night War was really heating up, did you ever have any sort of official offer to leave WWE? No, because it was because I was under contract. So you know there, right, were, there, right. there was a middleman in the air that's just like yeah, call call me when you need it, right? Right, because then it would have been tampering and all that other other sure. business. But uh, I had a lot of discussions, and uh, it's just like, well, it sounds you know really good. All you got to do is TVs and. You know, not on the road 300 days a year and you same money, maybe better. Ugh. It was pretty attractive. It is pretty attractive, especially when you're unhappy. But at the end of the day, you know, I just had I had faith in, in Vince and and I knew it, at some point I knew at some point things would turn around. And obviously they did. Yeah, definitely not the easy decision, but in the long term, the right one. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. G3 Assistance through Virginia's Community Colleges is your pathway to a new future. Helping those who qualify pay for school and train for the right career. Right where you are, right now. Learn more at vccs.edu forward slash G3. Trying to look back on your extensive career history, you've had so many memorable rivalries and matches and feuds that have been covered to death. Mark Calloway, the man as the performer, The Undertaker, what are some of your personal favorites that maybe don't get the love from the, the masses to this day? Man, I tell you, early on, early on, some of my stuff with Brett, you know, Brett didn't really change his style much. Like most people had to, to change or, 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 you know, they had to work towards me, work towards that character. The character was a monster. I didn't sell that much. You know, it really, <laughs> I remember... I remember one night, Ultimate Warrior, uh, <laughs> he'd been beating on me and pounding on me and just, you know, everything. He knocked me down. I'm setting back up. I'm coming back up. And finally, he goes, he goes, and I thought I was, but he, evidently I wasn't. He goes, Mark, he goes, are you going to sell anything tonight? <laughs> <laughs> so I was like, okay, Jim, here we go. All right, let's do this. Let's, let, let, let's try that. But it was, it was you know, it, I wore, I blew guys up. Early on, because you had to, though. I mean, that was to be fair. Yeah. That's what made the Undertaker stand out. Yeah, and it's it's what made sense. You just had to, you had to, you know. Eventually, eventually, you were going to get me down, and we we would work, and it would it would it would come about. But it, it was a uh, it was a process, to say the least, uh, to get that character compromised. But so Brett was like Brett was one of the first guys. So when I when I came in, like I had to really. I had to pull back on a lot of things that I that I did from when I was in WCW and before. Yeah, the athleticism was kind of your hallmark for a man of your size in WCW and walking the top rope and all of it. Right. So I had to, you know, so when I first, you know, like my first few TV matches, you know, I was still shooting guys in and drop down leapfrogs and drop kicks. And then it just snapped. I was like, it doesn't work. It, it's not, it, it's not going to, it's not what this character is. Yeah, there's definitely a disconnect. Yeah, so I had to I had to slam the brakes on all that, and then I had to slow my pace way down, and then you know I would lull people into a sense of okay, methodical, 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 and then 
bam, do something, you know, like the big flying clothesline where it would you right. know, it happen quick. And then like, people were like, well, what the hell just happened? So, you know, with Brett, Brett was one of the first ones that I got to really work a, a match, a, a more mainstream kind of match with. So I really enjoyed uh, working with him. I only had a few, few matches with Eddie, but my gosh, he, he was so fun to work with because he got it. He understood the business so well. And I think I worked with him. I think I worked with him and I was a heel and he was a baby face, but he was so smart in the sense that like, he would do something to me, you know, and there was a pretty, you know, there's a pretty big size discrepancy between me and Eddie where he would try and, you know, be that baby face. And then he had the, the, the smarts about him to, as a baby face powder, like, right. And that's guys, hard to do. That, that's, it that's is hard to do. to do at the right time for sure. Because it's then you can very hard. There's a fine line between being a baby face and a coward in that exactly. instance. And it, and it never came across as him being a coward. It was came across as how smart am I because he got out of the ring to figure out how the hell he was going to tackle this monster. So, I mean, you know, some of the stuff with him, obviously, Kurt, I had some really classic matches with Kurt that uh, I don't think get enough attention. Really, I really enjoy it. He was one of my favorites, too, to where Kurt was. Once he got over the fear of my my punch, he, you know, <laughs> <laughs> he, Kurt, bless his heart. I mean, he was just, he really was amazing uh, in the ring. And it's, but I never will forget, like, in, it's, it's in one of the earlier episodes. I, the first time that I draw back to throw the big right hand at him, oh my gosh, his face was just like, <laughs> like I was going to, like I was going to take his head off, right? It, it stopped me. It, I think we were, it was on TV, and right? So I'm drawing, about to hit him after he's already waffled me three or four times in the year. <laughs> and, and uh, you know, he just got this look on his face like I'm about to cave his head in. And I just stopped. I'm like, really? What are you doing? It's going to hurt. I'm like, <laughs> You're an Olympic gold medalist. Right, right. Shut up. <laughs> I've been blessed with some really great workers. I've had my share of stinkers. Yes. You know, some of the stuff with Eddie and Kurt, uh, you know, man, they were really fun to work with. On the opposite end of the spectrum, a story that you actually told me came to mind when we were at headquarters for a corporate event a few months ago, told a story about being in the ring with Kali. And I believe Triple H was also involved because I think you two were telling the tale. Uh, Do you care to share that one with (laughs) where where Kali went down? Oh, so... I, I still to this day don't understand how it happened, but <laughs> so when we were on tour in Europe or overseas, a lot of times you you would put your you know your, your top guys in like six man tags and stuff, just trying to like preservation really instead of every right. each guy having to go out and have a singles match and you know it, it's just kind of it's smart it's smart booking one because you don't ever see this group of guys together working together. Anyway, it was, uh, I want to say it was me, Triple H, and uh, maybe Batista. I, I don't know who the third on our side was. And it was, I think it was Fit Finley, Kali, and maybe MVP. Okay. I, I, I'm, not, I'm not positive on, on, on all the players, but so anyway, so I'm in the, I'm in the ring with Kali, and he gives me the big, <laughs> gives me the big chop right on the head and, down I go and 
So somebody in our corner said something to Kali. So he moves into their corner. So, you know, he stood in the corner for a while and he starts backing up. Right. And he's backing right up into me. So I, all I wanted to do was just reach out and let him know, remind him that I was back there. And I <laughs> kid you not, I kid you not. All I did was take my fingers like that and I squeezed his heel. Just to let him know you were there. <laughs> just to let him know. So he didn't step on me and so he didn't. So he wouldn't trip. <laughs> so I, I, sque- I squeezed his heel and all of a sudden it was like, ooh, ooh. It was like a redwood getting chopped down. <laughs> ooh, he fell. He fell like a giant pine tree. You know, of course, and I look over in my corner and like everybody's on the top rope, like covered up, just laughing their <laughs> off, right? And I'm standing in the ring just looking at my hand like, wow, how come I didn't discover that years ago? <laughs> Maybe I really am a superhero. <laughs> I couldn't figure it out. But he fell, just completely fell. And I was just like, you've got to be kidding me. That's, that's hilarious. And there, there's a bit in, in episode four of The Last Ride basically centered around all the guys and their attempts to make you crack in the ring. Um, Booker, Booker T's told many stories, Kurt Angle as well. Uh, are there any that stand out to you that that got you or almost did? Yeah, Booker. You know, he uh, we had been working. We had been working uh, the the dark matches as a tag uh, that had been going on. I don't know. We'd probably been two months. I don't even remember who we were working, but we'd been working together as a tag in the dark match. And every night, you know, it was the same thing. He'd get on the stick after the end, and you know, ask people who wanted to see a spinner Rooney, and you know, and everybody go nuts, and he'd do the spinner Rooney. You know, then they'd go, they'd, they'd feed back into my music. I'd hit my, my deal and, you know, we'd, we'd leave. Well, he, he tricked me one night and, you know, he's, I've been doing this spinner Rooney for years. And then who wants to see a take a Rooney? Right. It was one of those moments. It was like, did I just hear that right? <laughs> and then I could, I looked over at his face and, I was, and it was like, I could see the big grin coming up on his face. And I was like, oh man. I can't believe you did that to me, book. And then obviously everybody knows what happened after that. So there, there, there's a, in the episode, one of the episodes early on that you're referring to, Bradshaw is cutting the promo about this RV. And right, me, right. Yeah, me needing to take this. That was probably the closest that anyone ever got to me because the backstory was around that time or maybe a few months earlier, I had bought an an RV. I bought this RV, right? And not knowing that the RV before I bought it had been wrecked, it had been vandalized, all these different things. And the thing was, it was the biggest lemon that I ever bought. And it cost me tons of money because I had to end up suing the people that 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 sold it to you. (laughs) So it it defeated everything, every purpose that I bought it for, it defeated because it added so much stress to my life trying to, you know, trying to get my money back for this, this big lemon that I bought. And I think that I had just finally got everything cleared up. And then that was in a dark match too. And he hit me with the RV line. I about bit a hole in my bottom lip. (laughs) That's cool to give it context because I saw that exact scene and they show, they show your face in the, in the promo, but without context, it's, it's kind of like what, okay. But uh, that's, that's fantastic. 
Yeah, awesome. it was good. It was good stuff. I'm going to throw a little uh, word association your way just to kind of oh switch it up. I, I'm, I'm trying okay. my best to not give you the same interview that every other media outlet you've gone through in the last few weeks has given you. So uh, forgive me for the repeats. Careful what you ask for, Corey. <laughs> um, all right. Just I'm going to throw a name your way and just give me either a memory or a thought or a story if you got one. Randy Savage. Randy Savage. Uh, eccentric. Big show. Come a long way. Elaborate on that a little bit. Talk, talk about Big Show's arrival. I mean, he's he's been very open about his his tumultuous start in the in WWE, uh, but he's obviously come a long way. He he has as as a not only as a performer but as a human being. You know, Paul and and I and I love him to death. I really do, and I consider him one of my close friends now. But he came in riding off that big WCW, you know, mm-hmm. hype train. So when he first come in, you know, he, he really didn't, he thought he was the and, and, uh, and treated people. He kind of treated people like they were less than him. And I, I don't tolerate that. You know, he had to, he had to understand one, what he was, you know, it, it, it was a gift. And he, the way he tried to work initially was just wrong because he was, he had a gift. His size was his gift. And the fact that he was so athletic you know, he wanted to be able to do all these things. And it just, you know, for me watching, it just didn't work because it took away all the things that made him special. It, it took away, it made him like everybody else. Right. And it took me forever to get him to realize that you are a giant. <laughs> the fact that just because you can do something doesn't mean that you need to do something. And then now we're back into the context of a, of a wrestling match. And it took me forever to get him to realize that he was a, a giant. His, his heart in that part was a good place because he wanted to work, you know, he wanted to work and he wanted to show people how athletic he was. And, and but it just. Right, it, but he devalued himself in the process. He devalued it. Exactly. That's perfect. He devalued himself. And then on the, on the, on the human being aspect, it, it took a while for him to realize that because we are the talent doesn't make us any better than whoever's pulling the cables or, or whoever, you know, is setting Absolutely. up. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, there were a few instances where, where he treated some people pretty bad and, uh, he got the crooked finger at him, pointed at him <laughs> quite a bit. You know, I didn't do it because I was trying to be mean to him. I was trying to help him reach his full potential not only as a performer, but as a human being, not that it was necessarily my role to, but I knew there was a lot there. And, and I just wanted him to, I wanted him to excel on all levels. To that point about the athleticism. I mean, you, you were kind of one of the trailblazers as far as someone of your size, being able to athletically do what you do in the ring. Obviously the, the business has evolved. The, the competitors have evolved. What do you think, of the, the athleticism that some guys are, are using today. I mean, granted, we don't have too many people your size, but a lot of bigger guys that are able to do a lot more of that. Do you, do you think there's positives, negatives? Yeah, absolutely. There's positives and negatives. I think on the, on the grand scale of everyone, the athletes today are, I mean, my gosh, it, it's, like, it's like comic book stuff, superhero stuff. What mm-hmm. they can, I think what happens, though, is that these guys rely too much on that aspect of their performance and not enough, not enough on their, on their character and their, their willingness to sell and and to make things mean something. Prime example, my gosh, last night, backlash, 
Edge and 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 Randy. Wow. Honestly, I, it almost brought a tear to my eye because I haven't seen that kind of wrestling match in so long. You know, and I, I understand per time parameters and everything else that so they had a lot of time. But my gosh, what a story they told. I completely agree. I, what an unbelievable story. And I, and I told, I, I sent Edge a text today. Like the next time I go down to the PC and work with guys, I'm going to pull that tape up and show these guys and dissect it. Not that they're probably, it'll be dissected a hundred times by then, but just the little nuances of the things that those two guys did last night. It's just, it was phenomenal. And it, 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 it restored so much faith in, in, in where I think the business should be and could be. But that tape right there, that needs to be studied by our main roster guys. That right. was what rest. That is what professional wrestling is, or is supposed to be, is what they did last night, in, in my opinion. And, and it's great. It's great being able to be as athletic as all these guys are. But it really, at the end of the day, it doesn't mean anything because when you rely on all the athleticism and you rely solely on your athleticism, you continually push the envelope to our our audience because they're going to get desensitized to the double backflip off the top onto somebody onto the floor. They're going to see it a couple of times and then they're going to go, okay, I've seen that. Now, what do you got for me? So what happens is you have to continually push the envelope athletically, which puts you at a higher risk for injury. Sure. And and threatens the longevity of your career. Absolutely. These guys are on the, you know, obviously things are different right now, but when things get back to normal, so does being back on the road 250 days a year. It's self-preservation a lot of times. You, you have to work smart to make this thing last. And that's not taking a day off. You work, you don't care. You can work hard and you should work hard every night, but you have to work smart. Right. And I, and I, and I think the guys right now are relying too much on athleticism and not enough on storytelling. I mean, that last night, man, that was just Man, it was phenomenal. It was a master class. I actually had Randy Orton on this show last week, and he spoke uh, very similarly about his style and, and being on the road and what he looks for in someone that he wants to work with it is the ability to tear the house down and tell a great story, but also wake up in the morning and be able to go to the gym and not be in so much pain that, you know, it, it's a, to a detriment. Uh, to that same point, I'm going to throw another name at you, John Cena. Uh, John Cena was on here a few months ago talking about the the importance of the little things and selling and reacting to a crowd. What are you, what are your thoughts? I tell you what, when John came out the original, uh, you know, early on, I, I would have never thought in a million years that he would get over to the extent um, that he did. And pleasantly, I mean, just pleasantly surprised how, how over John got. And I mean, he was over, over, there's just that, next level over that he was, whether good or bad. That was another thing. I've never seen anyone last as long as he did with such a polarizing opposite love, hate. Right. I mean, normally it's one way or the other. I had never seen one guy come out one night and get booed out of the building. The next night, get a 10 minute standing ovation. It was just crazy. And I don't think, I can't name anybody else really that's ever got that kind of, you know, that polarizing fan reaction. Not for a sustained period of time. Yeah, exactly. It, you know, usually, okay, well, okay, let's go. We're going to go this way with this character and make him this, or we're going to make him that. And he did, and John did John. 
And that was a great thing. John did John, and it, it, it came off as so good. His promos, you know, he put his time in. He kept his hey, – man, I don't – John was a super overachiever, I think. And uh, just uh, his work ethic, second to none. Because, I mean, his media schedule on top of his work schedule. It's outrageous. <laughs> it was it was outrageous. I, I actually told him at one time, I said, John, I said, for your, for your sake, I said, you need to learn the word no. Because he didn't, I mean, he did everything. And I said, you're going to burn, you know, he never did. He, he proved me wrong. But <laughs> I just said, man, you're going to burn yourself out. He's amazing. And one more I want to throw your way. I know is very special to you. Uh, Yokozuna. Man, he was he was so awesome. Uh, I'll tell you a quick story. Uh, you know, Yoko. Um, you know, the business was business was down, and we were kind of on top, and you know, we were trying to hold everything together. Probably one of my f- most my favorite times in the business because you know we were working against each other, and our our crew was so tight knit. You know off out of out of the arena together i mean we you know we had a good we had really good times uh, it's about as far as i can elaborate on that but <laughs> we had really good times that i remember and sometimes i just you know some memory will pop into my my head in that time period just makes me smile yoko I, i'll never forget when he first came in now I'd, I'd seen him in japan you know working in japan and i'd heard he was coming in and he was doing a dark match in, uh, in, in, I think it was Baltimore, you know, that stage, the Baltimore arena where yeah. he was sitting on the stage. Yeah. And uh, so I wanted to go out and watch his dark match, his tryout, not a tryout match, but, you know, before the show started. Sure. And uh, he was working with this guy and uh, Vince just be, happened to be standing there. So I came up and so Vince and I are kind of peeking through the curtain, watching him work. And man, at, at 450 pounds, the guy moved like a cat. Mm-hmm. It just, it, it, his, the way he could move and the way he could work would defy looking at him. You would say, there's no way a human being of that size could move and work the way he could. I mean, he's throwing these spot kicks and just, I mean, just smooth as silk. Right. And I, so I'm standing there and looking at the curtain, I pull my head out and I said, Vince, please, I'm begging you because I'd had some, I had had a few stinkers in a row and I was looking, I, I said, please, please let me work with him first. You know, I got the traditional Vince laugh. <laughs> oh, you'll work with him, but uh, I've got something else in mind for you right now. And just so, and I kid you not, just so happens coming down the hall from the far end of the, of the stage comes Giant Gonzalez. Oh, okay. <laughs> he goes, that's what I got in store for you. Right on cue. Like, oh, oh, good. That's have one of the, another one of the reasons I left WCW. They wanted me to work with him, and then he follows me here. I was like, please. So anyway, as it worked out, Lex got Yoko first, and then I got Giant Gonzalez, and the rest is history. <laughs> Tremendous. Yeah, still, still unbelievable matches to go back and watch. It is your series with with Yoko. I mean. Some unbelievable knockdown drag out matches. So I'll tell you fun. what, you you were asking for a funny story earlier. I'll give you one with Yoko. So you, you I guess you treat your, you know, the guys you consider your brothers, you could treat you treat them the worst, right? Absolutely. Yep. So this is later on in, in, in Yoke's career. 
with, with, with WWE and we were working and I think we were in the cow palace. I don't know. I don't know if you've ever been in the cow palace, but it's I've never been. Francisco. I don't think we even run it anymore. It was so dangerous. I know it most from Pat Patterson's plentiful stories. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And those aren't embellished one bit. I mean, the cow <laughs> palace, if you got out, if you got in and out in one piece and not talking about whoever your opponent was, you, you had a good night, right? So anyway, Yoko's obviously Samoan. And there was a very, very large Samoan contingency in the, in the audience, right? So we're working. I'm the baby face. But all of a sudden, you hear, you know, from the rafters, you hear, Palofa Samoa, right? And get Yoko get all fired up, right? And start just <laughs> kicking the crap out of me. So... <laughs> So he would hit me, right? And, you know, his, his, his win wasn't the greatest, but so he would hit me. So if, if I was in one corner, he'd hit me. I would go, I would sail completely far away from me and I'd make him chase me, right? And he'd hit me and then I'd go, I would, you know, and you'd have to hear his, his voice didn't match him, but, you know, I could hear him going, Marcus, Marcus, you better sit still, Marcus. <laughs> I was like, come on, yo. And he'd hit me, man. And he'd be, he'd be gassed. He'd be blown up. And then it got to the end of the night, right? So he sets me up for the the big splash, you know, this second round. So yeah, the boom, bonsai he, drop, yeah. Yeah, the bonsai drop, right? So he got his back. So he hits me with the bonsai drop. And that, there's two ways he could do it. One, he stayed on his feet. And there was the other one where he kicked his heels out, right? So he kicks his heels out. <laughs> so he's sitting on my chest, right? And he's like, hey, you still want to play, Marcus? You, you want to play? <laughs> I'm like, yo, please get off of me. Yeah. No, you want to play? And just he's sitting there, right? And finally he got off of me. And I was just like, oh my goodness, what have I got myself into? Yeah, I mean, it was just we had such good times together. I loved working with him, just ribbing each other. Just it was man, a, a clear, a dear, dear friend I really miss. Now that we're into this new phase of your career slash life, what is something that, uh, well, obviously there's plenty of things that the world does not know about The Undertaker or Mark Calloway. What's something about yourself uh, that you're looking forward to sort of exploring now in this new phase of your life? Uh, something, a passion or an interest outside of the ring? But I love to hunt and fish. I always loved it, but I've always been on the road. So, you know, I've really missed out on a, on a, all of that. And that, that, that's, I think, probably spending time and with my family out on our ranch. And I, I just, that's, that, that, that's, that's my life goal right now is to spend as much time out there as I can. Um, Enjoy the fruits of your labor. I, 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 yeah, exactly. While I can, while I still can. And um, yeah, that's one of the big deals is just being there and, and then, you know, teaching my kids and, teaching them how to fish and hunt and, and do all those things. It's that's uh, number one on my list right now, making memories with my, my family. Well, you've worked hard enough and it's very well-deserved. Before I let you go, just looking across the uh, WWE landscape currently, whether it be Raw, SmackDown, NXT, is there anybody that catches your eye that, that you see big things in or you think maybe in your, in your heyday you would have wished to step in the ring with? Yeah, I mean, we got, there's some guys now that are kind of starting to put things together. Like, that pay-per-view was really good last night. Drew McIntyre's really come a long way. Definitely. I thought Bobby Bobby had a really good night. 
I completely agree. And, he, and I think some people, I think he would even agree. He's been hit or miss recently. And, and last night, I think Bobby really, really, you know, spoke highly for himself. Yeah, that's one of the, that's one of the best performances he's had in either one of his time here. I, you know, I got to see more of that out of Bobby and, and Drew. You know who had a really good night too was uh, was Seamus. Seamus was really aggressive. I mean, he was just mean. He was. He was menacing. I yes. agree completely. Yes. And that was you know one of those deals. I was kind of worried about how it was going to go, but it's one of the things in storytelling, and I try to tell people uh, it's always about the story. You know, I, I wasn't sure how they were going to start that match, but after everything that Seamus had done to him, you know, it's hard for me to, when I think about putting a match together, when you do things of that nature to, and the buildup to go ding, 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 lock up collar. And elbow. You're ready to fight. <laughs> exactly. It was, it was the same with, with, with the buildup to the boneyard match. Exactly. Yeah. You know, AJ crossed so many lines of professionalism with, you know, our buildup. So that's why, you know, that match worked out so well for us because it wouldn't have been much different than if it had been in a, in a wrestling ring. I mean, it wouldn't have been a, it wouldn't have been a lock up collar and elbow, grab an arm bar. Right, right, right. You know, he, he crossed the lines of, uh, you know, he said, he mentioned, you know, he brought my wife's name out of his mouth. That means it's time, it's time to, to, to duke it up now because wrestling's gone out the window. And, you know, that's one of the things that I try to, get people to to think about when they start putting the payoff matches together for the pay-per-views is like, what have you done in the buildup to this match? You, you have to go back and think about everything that's, that's happened. And there's a point where, you know, in, in, in the things like Seamus and, and, and Jeff Hardy, that, that crosses the lines of, of wrestling matches it doesn't really matter who wins and loses at that point it's a personal it's a very personal issue right and, and the setup to the story's already been told so you can't forego that even exactly. before the match starts sure yeah that's what that's the that's what's got you hooked that's what's got you to that point that's what got me and aj to the point at the, at the boneyard and you know a lot of times guys miss that and they put things you know you, okay boom collar and elbow, grab a headlock, shoot off, drop down, tap, you know, it's like, um, it <laughs> don't work. It, it right. doesn't work. And, and people, they don't really, our audience, sometimes they, they get caught up, but then it's, it's like something's missing there. There's a, there's an element of, of realism that, that gets lost. I mean, cause if someone says something about your wife or your children, you're swinging, you better, you're swinging. <laughs> you're swinging. You know, and that, and that's that's kind of you know that's the part that, that I think the storytelling aspect that's getting a little bit lost. But uh, I could rant on that all day, man. <laughs> well, before I uh, one more thing, before, since you brought it up, the the Boneyard match with AJ Styles at WrestleMania, a a massive hit. I don't think anyone knew what to expect, but in hindsight, it's it's been you know a little over a month now. Uh, positive feedback. Where where in the Undertaker's legacy does the Boneyard fit? I think it's another, just a, another classic story. I, like I said, I, we, we were, we had to play the cards that we were dealt. Obviously when I said, you know, when, when I, when I agreed to, to do, do the match, obviously we think that's happening at Raymond James stadium in front of 80,000 people. So obviously with, with COVID and everything happening, you know, we had to, we had to switch and flip and, and figure out, 
Call an audible. <laughs> yeah, we had definitely, we had to call an audible, but that audible just happened to land right in my wheelhouse. I mean, that's what I, I mean, that's, that's the kind of thing that I do best, you know, is, is, is tell a story. And what was so good about it is that you, you didn't have background noise so you could hear the interactions. That was so pivotal in making that match is you could hear the back and forth, which right. made it, it brought it another sense of like, yeah, because that's kind of what would happen. You know, you, you, you know, you're going to talk crap and you're going to, you're going to say things and, and it, and it just adds to the feeling and to the moment. And uh, I was really proud of, of that in the sense that we got to, we, I thought we paid off what we built up. And I mean, like I said, AJ, AJ could have a match with a broomstick and still be four stars. Uh, he's just, you know, he's awesome. And, uh, but, and that took him, it took him out of his, that's just another sign of how good he is. It took him out of his wheelhouse. You know, he tells awesome stories in the ring. Right. But he had to step out. Yeah. But he was, he was lockstep with me the whole way in that match and had really great insight uh, in putting it together. And like, I'm, I'm really proud of, really proud of that match. Well, chapter five of The Undertaker's Last Ride airs this coming Sunday on WWE Network. Uh, anything you'd like to uh, put forth into the universe before it airs? Anything we can expect? You don't want to miss it. It's going to be an emotional ride. Uh, you're going to find out some things that were going on around WrestleMania that you may not know of. So it's going to be a, uh, it'll be a roller coaster ride of emotions. I can promise you that. I can't wait to take the ride. Thank you once again for taking the time to sit and chat with me. I could do this all day long. If you ever decide to start a podcast, I know a guy. I could. <laughs> you know a guy. <laughs> no, but Undertaker, Mark, thank you for everything you've done and continue to do. I appreciate your time, and uh, you're welcome here anytime. Well, I appreciate Corey and continued success with the, with, the, with the show, man. You're doing awesome. I, honest to God, the fan in me could have continued that conversation for hours, probably even days. Thank you once again to the incomparable Undertaker for joining the show. Before we say goodbye, I'm going to leave you with a little bit of zen, as I often do. This one's from Summer Saldana, who said, Maybe the journey isn't so much about becoming anything. Maybe it's about unbecoming everything that isn't really you, so you can be who you were meant to be in the first place. It all feels apropos. There's some zen for you. I'm full of it. Follow the show at After the Bell WWE on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Join the conversation using the hashtag After the Bell. I know I say this a bunch, but if you're using Apple Podcasts and you haven't left us a review, please shoot us five stars after this week. I mean, let's be honest. How could you not? And if you're using an Android, follow ATB on Spotify, Pandora, iHeartRadio, or Google Podcasts and never miss an episode. Follow me at WWE Graves, and I will be back next week with more wisdom more vitriol, and more WWE after the bell.